just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Tuesday. We are two days beyond Christmas. So you would presume that uh, we should get back to business as usual. Now, I'll be back to business as usual, but for everyone else, that's not necessarily the case. Back before I retired, when I was brokering truckloads of products to other people, I always hated this week. Now, I always presumed that the week leading up to Christmas would be light, would be kind of a waste, because people would be going out of town, taking vacations, getting ready for Christmas. But after Christmas would pass, I assumed we'd get back to business as usual, but that wasn't the case. Mainly because in a week's time after Christmas, we have yet another holiday, that is New Year's. So people took the opportunity to lay low during this week to extend their holidays, extend their vacations, spend more time with family. And it always pissed me off. I mean, I was anxious. I wanted to get going and make some money. But nobody was around. And I couldn't get any deals done. It frustrated me. It seemed like a waste of a week. It was a week where I wasn't going to make any money. But now that my circumstances have changed, I'm cool with it. I think it's great that people are going on vacation, spending time with family, just laying low for a week, getting out of the rat race. And I was talking to a former business partner of mine about this very subject because, of course, he had the same idea that I had that this week is just a waste and nothing's going to happen till after the first of the year. And I told him, you know, I felt like that for a long time, but I don't now. I'm cool with it. And he said, well, of course not, because you're not working. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean I'm not working? I am working. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I do three to four or maybe five TikToks a day, and I do a podcast every night. He goes, that's not working. I go, oh, really? Why don't you try it and tell me if it's fucking work? He says, but you're used to it, and you've done it all your life. Of course it's easier for you. I said, exactly. When you're retired, you pick up the reins on something that's familiar to you, something that you like, and that's that's what I've done. He goes, but I bet you don't make a lot of money doing it. And I go, of course I don't. But I find myself in a very admirable position, an enviable position. He says, you do this work every day, you don't make any money. How is that an enviable position? I go, well, hear me out here. I think everybody in this world would love the opportunity to do the one thing that they love most, that they enjoy the most, that they are best at. And I think they would dream to be able to do it without 
having to worry about money, having to worry about leaving the lights on, putting food on the table, and that's exactly where I'm at. Granted, I'm not making a ton of money from the podcast or TikToks, but fortunately, I've set myself up well enough, my wife and I, that we have a pension and we have Social Security and some other income where I don't have to make a lot of money from the podcast or TikTok. But I still get to do it. And I still get paid, in a sense, by people who consume whatever I put out there. I mean, when I first started doing this, a lot of people said it's a waste of time. Nobody will listen. I refuse to listen because that's just my nature. So in spite of the fact I'm not counting the dollars coming off the podcast and the TikToks, I do have an audience, an audience that listens regularly, that kind of counts on the show, that is part of the community. So for me, that's payment enough. And given that I don't have to worry about keeping the lights on or putting food on the table by way of the TikToks and the uh, podcast, that gives me full and complete freedom to do what I want. I don't have to second guess anybody. I don't have to do different things that I think will maybe make me more money. I just get to do what I want. So I told my partner, I said, regardless of how you might look at it, I'm fucking winning, and I'm winning big. He didn't understand that. You know, he's all about, I got to make as much money as I can. I want to make a million dollars and all that stuff. I said to him, I said, go ahead, chase that for all you're worth. But when it comes to the point that you retire, then you'll realize that it isn't about money. It's about getting yourself into a place where you're happy, you're comfortable, you have no stress. You can do the things you want, but you don't have to deal with all the intricacies and the hassles of trying to make a lot of money, collect a lot of money, and spend a lot of money. The key to life is simplifying your life, making it easy so that you're not living for the money and living for your material things, but just living your life in the most joyful way. And of course, he said to me, what the fuck happened to you? (laughs) I said, well, reality hit me. I couldn't do what I was doing for the rest of my life because it was too much It was too stressful, and it was too much hassle. I thought if I could just calm things down a little bit, simplify everything, I felt like my life would be better. So I did it. I took a chance. I took a risk. And damned if I wasn't right. So every day my job is to do this podcast and the TikToks, and as much as a lot of people don't understand it, I appreciate the opportunity because it's not just about money. It's about doing the TikToks and the podcast and having people interested enough to listen. That's actually my payment for what I do here. When I first started doing TikToks and podcasts, people said, nobody wants to listen to an old man talk about that shit. Nobody cares. They'd scoff at it. And I said, well... You know me, I don't listen to shit, so I'm doing it anyway. And I did it. And while I'm not making big money off of YouTube or off of TikTok or off of the podcast, it doesn't really matter. The lights are on, the food's on the table, 
and I'm doing what I truly enjoy. And when you're in the holiday season, you have to be thankful for things. You should uh, be grateful for things. And I am grateful for this opportunity. And the only people I can thank for that are the people who listen to the podcast and watch the TikTok. So thank you very much for taking the worry of a lazy week off of my mind and instead allowing me to participate in that lazy week and do the one thing that I truly love to do. Anyhow, let's talk about some news. Now, you folks probably remember a story from last week. It's regarding Representative-elect George Santos, a Republican from New York. Now, of course, he was just elected to the House of Representatives in November. He will take his seat in the House on January 3rd. Now, shortly after the election, some inconsistencies cropped up. It turns out that he wasn't exactly truthful about his resume. In fact, he wasn't truthful at all. Everything he put out there for his uh, voters, now his constituents, all of it was completely a lie. He said he went to a couple of prestigious colleges Fact is, he didn't go to those colleges. He claimed to have two degrees, but in fact he had zero degrees. He also claimed that he worked with some very impressive financial corporations. But, I know you get it, he didn't work for either one of those companies. He even said that he had four employees that were at the Pulse nightclub on the night of the shooting. And he claimed that four of his employees were shot and killed. Not surprisingly, that, of course, was not true. He claimed he was gay. Now, here's the deal on this. He was actually probably being truthful here. He was married to a woman, and that's why people thought he was lying about that. He is now divorced from the woman and claims that he's married to a man, and he is, in fact, gay. That's really neither here nor there. I don't care if he's gay or straight. That's really not a factor, and I don't know why anybody would lie about that. But he also said he was Jewish, and he's it's kind of a half Truth, And he made a joke about it. I'm not Jewish. I'm Jew-ish. <laughs> and what he meant by that was that he had a grandmother, a great-grandmother, somebody that was Jewish, in spite of the fact that he was raised Catholic. The bottom line is everything he told people was either not true or slightly skewed. And that's kind of troubling. Now here's the interesting thing. We didn't hear anything from him as the story was being bandied about until Friday, this past Friday. He didn't answer any questions at that point, but he did say 
Next week, I'll come out and tell my story. Oh, and happy holidays. Well, that was a weird response to these accusations. But that's what he did. And I think a lot of us thought he was just going to bolt. He was going to go away. Who could handle that embarrassment? Who could be able to deal with being proven that you lie and be able to stand in front of the press and talk to them? Well, we know now of any fucking Republican because they do it all the time. So when George Santos stepped up to the press, he said, I'm so embarrassed. And yes, it's true. I embellished on my resume. Embellished, motherfucker. You lied about everything. I think embellishment is an understatement. He said, but people do stupid things. It happens. But here's the deal. I'm going to be a great representative. I'm going to do all the things I said I was going to do. Oh, okay. Well, that's all better. In an interview with the New York Post, Santos said, Santos said, my sins are embellishing my resume. I'm sorry. He also told the newspaper, I campaigned talking about the people's concern, not my resume, and added, I intend to deliver on promises I made during the campaign. The New York Times raised questions last week about his life story. Santos, who's 34 years old, had presented during his campaign. Now, I have a son that's 30 year, 35 years old and a son that's 29. If either of my sons did that, I would smack the shit out of them. And I never hit my kids. But this would warrant getting smacked upside the head. Now, this guy's from Queens. He had said that he obtained a degree from Baruch College in New York. But the school said... That cannot be confirmed. On Monday, Santos acknowledged, I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. I embarrassed, I'm embarrassed, and I'm sorry for having embellished my resume. You see how he's kind of couching the issue here? Santos has also said he had worked for Citigroup and Goldman Sachs, but neither company could find any records verifying that. Santos told the Post that he had never worked directly for either financial firm, saying he had used a poor choice of words. Yeah, it was just a poor choice of words, just a simple, honest mistake. Fuck you. He told the Post that Linkbridge, an investment company where he was vice president, did business with both. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a far cry from working at those companies. Another outlet, news outlet, the Jewish American site, The Forward, had questioned a claim on Santos' campaign website that his grandparents fled Jewish persecution in Ukraine, settled in Belgium, and again fled persecution during World War II. (laughs) Santos said, I never claimed to be Jewish. I'm Catholic because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background, not even his grandmother, somebody far back in his background. So I said I was Jewish. Oh, I get it. Very funny, motherfucker. 
Santos first ran for Congress in 2020, and he lost. He ran again in 2022 and won in the district that includes some Long Island suburbs and a small part of Queens. So this guy thinks that, yeah, I lied about everything, but everybody does that. But don't worry, I'll be a good representative. Here's my problem with that. If people voted for him based on what he told them he was, if later we find out that he's none of those things, the real question would be, would these people have still voted for him? Or had they known that he was a pathological liar, would they have still voted for him? Still, he sees himself being seated in the House of Representatives. Now, some people have suggested that he had, if he had any credibility, any integrity, that he would resign and step down, maybe run again with the real facts about himself and see if he could actually win. Doesn't sound like he's going to do that. He's going to be seated in the House of Representatives. Now, the other thing that could happen is the leader of the Republican Party in the House would take him to task force him to step down, kick him out of office. But that guy's Kevin McCarthy, and Kevin McCarthy has a problem. He has the House of Representatives with a slim margin. Now, if he left and there had to be a special election, there could be a Democrat that won that race, given the experience they had with the Republican. And if that happens, the margin of majority for the Republicans would be even slimmer. And there's one little catch here. George Santos tweeted out one time that he was fully supporting Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. Well, we know where Kevin McCarthy is and trying to get his votes. Doesn't look like he's going to get to 218, but the last thing he wants to do is get rid of one more vote. It's just going to make his job all that much harder. So what's going to happen is on January 3rd, this clown will probably be seated and he will be a representative for a district in New York, upstate New York. And I hope those people that voted him in are happy with what they got. Because I'll be perfectly honest with you, now that we know what we know about George Santos, He is an absolute joke, and your district is a joke for voting for him, putting him in office. Somebody said something else. If he's lied this much, there's bound to be another shoe that drops, something we don't know yet, and he's probably right. If this guy is a pathological liar like we've seen him to be, There's probably all kinds of crazy shit in his background that will come out. You know, the Republicans talk about investigations over things and people who, over things that never happened and people that weren't guilty of anything. They're all about those investigations. I would suggest you do an investigation into your own guy, George Santos, because clearly there are some problems there. Of course, they won't do that. They will instead take the uh, track to uh, investigate bullshit stuff like Hunter Biden's laptop or what have you. And they'll look foolish in the whole process. 
The Republican Party apparently is all about lies. They will say and do anything to get elected and gain power. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's true. Clearly, all the Republican Party who believed in the big lie, who lied at every turn, who refused to testify in front of the January 6th committee. That's what we're looking at with the Republican Party, at least in the House of Representatives. At the core, they are deceitful, they are liars, and they're all about doing nothing in Congress, doing nothing for this country, doing nothing for the people in this country. Now, if those are the people you want to back and those are the people you want to vote for, well, fine. But the people you voted in are fucking jokes, which in turn says those people who made the votes are fucking jokes. And if you think it's troublesome or bad now, give it some time, because over the next year, a lot is going to be exposed. And you people that stood by Donald Trump, the MAGA pokes, Kevin McCarthy, You're all going to be made to look like fools. And I know the type of people you are. That is probably the worst insult anybody can give to you. That you're an idiot. That you're a fool. Make no mistake, if you voted for George Santos, you were fucking duped. And if you don't decide to fix it once you know it, you're fucking stupid. You're corrupt in a sense. I kind of hope George Santos does get into uh, Congress because he's going to be pretty worthless. He has no credibility. Nobody's going to believe him. So it's going to make him essentially powerless. And frankly, the only thing better than having a Democrat in a seat in Congress is having a weak-ass Republican who can't do anything. I'll take that, at least for the next two years. George Santos will have a lot of people looking into him. Even if the Republicans don't, you can bet the press is going to be digging shit out on him daily. And I think there's an excellent chance that uh, there's a lot to dig out. We know that he lied on his resume, but the fact of the matter is that There's probably a lot more waiting for us, waiting for us to find out. He is going to be the butt of every joke. He seems pretty, pretty tame when he talks. He's not loud and obnoxious like Jim Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene. So he's going to be pretty tame. So he's going to be ripe to be given shit. And probably not even by the Democrats, probably by the Republicans. The Republicans have to be embarrassed by this guy. Not so much that he lied, but that he got caught. They all fucking lie. It's getting caught is the crime here. So on January 3rd, we'll see if George Santos is seated in the House of Representatives. And the shit show will ensue thing is, this lying piece of shit isn't the worst person in the Republican side of the House of Representatives. He's deceitful. He's a liar. He's a joke. He's stupid. 
So he'll fit in perfectly with the Republicans because they've got a whole host of people like that. You'll probably be welcomed in warmly with hugs and kisses because he's just like the rest of the crowd. Now, Donald Trump is getting pretty heated these days. He responded to a report that he was begging his daughter Ivanka and son-in-law Jared Kushner to take part in the start of his 2024 campaign on Monday. And we know, of course, Ivanka and Jared don't want anything to do with it. They already have legal problems because of their connection to their dad, Donald Trump. And they don't want any more of that bullshit. So they're stepping away from Donald Trump, much like a lot of other Republicans are. Now, Trump wrote on his true social platform that he never asked the two to be part of his campaign, which thus far has included a dinner with a white supremacist and Adolf Hitler adoring rappers, as well as the January 6th committee referring criminal charges against him to the Justice Department. Trump's comments came after a New York Post report last month that declared that Javanka seemed to want no part of Trump in 2024 and alleged the former president was trying to convince Ivanka and Kushner to be with him on stage during his first campaign announcement since his coup attempt on January 6th. But clearly, they did not show. Now, Ivanka told Fox News Digital last month that she decided to prioritize her family as her father runs another presidential campaign and said she would support her father outside the political arena. Yeah, I'll bet. You're going to run as far and fast as you can get away from your dad just to stay out of fucking jail, if you can. Trump wrote on Monday that he specifically asked his daughter and Kushner not to get involved in his campaign this time around. Well, of course you did. It couldn't be that somebody turned you down, Donald. You told them not to get involved, so they didn't. So they're doing exactly what you said, right? He goes on to say, contrary to fake news reporting, I never asked Jared or Ivanka to be part of the 2024 campaign for president and, in fact, specifically asked them not to do it. Sure, you wouldn't invite your family your former senior advisors, to be back on your campaign? Why would you want to do that? But he says the reason he didn't is because politics is too mean and nasty with fake and corrupt news and having to deal with some absolutely horrendous sleazebags in the world of politics and beyond. You didn't want them to be involved with sleazebags. Now I get it. You didn't want them involved with sleazebags, so you said, don't help me in the campaign. Because frankly, Donald Trump is the epitome of fucking sleazebags. He continued, there has never been anything like this ride before, and they should not be further subjected to it. I ran twice, getting millions more votes the second time, rigged, and I'm doing it again. 
Now, apparently Kushner has reportedly refused to help the former president on his 2024 campaign, according to New York Magazine. And he started handing out Trump number Trump's number to people who ask for help, whereas he has acted a link between 45 and others in the past. He was like, look, I'm out. I'm really out. A source aware of the situation told the publication. Nobody with any common sense would get involved in Donald Trump's campaign for 2024. It's a misadventure at best. I don't believe he's going to run, and if he does run, that would be a godsend for the Democrats because he will get his ass wiped across the floor. There is no way he can win in 2024. Frankly, I don't think there's any way for any Republican to win in 2024 with all the shit that they have to deal with and all that's being exposed. We saw how well Donald Trump did with the Republicans. He won in 2016. Oh, my God, he's our savior. But in 2018, in the midterms, that shit didn't work because the Democrats got the House and the Senate. In 2020, Donald Trump got beat for the presidential election. And then in 2022, the Republicans were embarrassed. So this is Donald Trump involved with four elections. He only won one, the first one. And the moment he got in in and had a chance to prove himself, everybody said, oh, fuck no. We don't want any part of that. So to think that he would be successful in 2024 is just absolutely ridiculous. Common sense would not suggest that at all. I'm sure he did ask Ivanka and Jared to help him out, and they said no. And Donald Trump, in order to save face, said, I never asked him, and in fact, I told him them not to help me. Well, Donald Trump, you need a lot of help. There's a lot of people backing away from you. You don't have enough people to help you with this campaign. You're in a world of hurt, a world of trouble. You could use some help. But your daughter and your son-in-law understand the risk of helping you. You made a fool out of yourself the four years you were in and the two years subsequent. And frankly, they're having problems in their little social circles. Nobody wants any part of them because of her tie to her dad and, and the productivity they created while working in the White House. They are becoming a pariah, much like Donald Trump has become a pariah. And at this point, Ivanka and Jared need to try to rehabilitate their image. Now, the problem for Ivanka and uh, Jared is they aren't done yet. They could be found complicit in the J6 insurrection or some of the other corruption that happened in the Trump administration. So as much as they don't want to get involved in Donald Trump, they aren't out of the shit yet. They are being investigated. They have been deposed. And some interesting things have come out of their depositions. Unless Ivanka and Jared want to flip on Donald Trump, they do risk the chance of going to jail. And God bless them if they do. 
It's about time these rich, entitled pieces of shit were accountable for the constant criminality and corruption that they inflict on this country and think they can get away with it. Now's the time to put it to an end. Make an example of these fucks to stop anybody in the future thinking they can get away with it. All right, we are going to take a break. And we will be right back. Now, the biggest question these days, is Donald Trump going to get indicted? Will Donald Trump go to jail? And I've said all along that at this point, the DOJ almost has to indict Donald Trump with all the evidence out there for all the world to see. There are some tough issues with indicting a former president, but it looks like the issues would be bigger if they didn't indict him. That's always been my standpoint. Now, on MSNBC last night, they had three legal experts, some people I respect. I've watched them a number of times, and they know their shit. Andrew Weissman, Maya Wiley, and Basil Smickle. And they all agreed that it's officially the beginning of the end of Donald Trump. It's an expectation that has been heard before, but even with the previous special counsel, there was a policy that the Justice Department would always protect the president. And that's exactly what we saw while he was president. But then MSNBC host Chris Hayes asked his panel of two lawyers and a professor to join in on a kind of thought experiment. You get hired, Andrew Weissman, as the new legal team. They fire their old lawyers and they want you. You get the briefing book with the rundown of the legal issues facing your client. Your forced client says to you, am I going to be indicted? What say, what, what, you say what to this person? Weissman said, yes, without even blinking. Wiley said, bye-bye, baby. <laughs> Smickle, he said, it's happening. It's not whether it's going to happen. It's when and with how many of these things are you in front of? How many of these counts are you going to get, Miley said. They went on to say, I would say to him, what we have to focus on in is the state cases, said Weissman. You're going to get indicted federally, period, the end. That is what Jack Smith is going to do. Whether it is on one or two things, we don't know. But either one of those is no good. One is better than two that is going to happen. There are many, there may be a political solution ultimately on a federal indictment because if there is a Republican president, it is unlikely that it will come to fruition, that there will be a trial, there'll be a jury verdict, and you will be sentenced before there is a next presidential election. So that is one area that we have to worry about. He explained that the really important piece is the states because there's no ability for Trump to be pardoned federally for a state crime. If there is a Georgia indictment or a New York indictment, that is where you have to worry because if you are indicted in New York, you are going to go to jail, Weissman continued. 
In Georgia, you might go to jail as well unless they change the rules and allow the governor to pardon you. So that is where you need to spend, we need to spend our time looking at those cases and figuring out what the defenses are. Both of those, I think, there are potential issues. The strongest of all the things that, they, that we have seen, at least on the outside, is the Mar-a-Lago case. He clarified that it was the strongest in the sense that the government is going to indict and it's hard to see a valid defense there. That is a simple case. He took the documents. He know he, he knew he took the documents. There is going to be a whole lot of lawyers from Washington and the White House who are key witnesses to say, I told him not to do it. I told him it was illegal. I told him that these are government property. The fact that it took 18 months is going to be unbelievably damning evidence. And that is how legal experts are looking at it. Those of you that will continue to say, oh, nothing's ever going to happen to him, I'm afraid you're mistaken. Something is going to happen to him. Something's already happened to him. I mean, they indicted his whole fucking company. They indicted his CFO. But something is going to come about with these potential indictments. As I've always told you, we only need one indictment. But we'll probably get multiple indictments. And as uh, these three stated, if he gets indicted federally, and there is a Republican president who wants to pardon Donald Trump, he could do that or she could do that. But I can't imagine why they would. At this point, for the Republican Party, he's a loser. There is nothing to be gained by pardoning Donald Trump. That said, it is possible. But when we get into the state crimes, he's not going to get pardoned. He's in all kinds of trouble, and no president, no matter who it is, is going to be able to help him. So as these legal experts said, you're in a whole hell of a lot of trouble, and there aren't many ways out. In fact, there may be no way out for Donald Trump. He's likely getting this kind of advice from his current legal team, in spite of the fact they're a fucking shitty legal team. But they're probably giving him this advice. Internally, this is driving him nuts. Externally, externally, I'm sure he thinks, or at least plays off and thinks, that he's going to get off of all of this. Some magical thing will happen, and he won't be accountable for anything. And the only reason he thinks this is because his whole life has been like that. No matter how bad it's gotten for Donald Trump, somebody was always there to bail him out. But that's not going to be the case here. He's no longer president. He no longer wields any power. His money is diminishing. His company has been convicted. He's really got no leverage on anybody for anything. He's got at least half of the Republican Party that hate him, that blame him for the demise of the Republican Party, so they aren't going to do anything to help him. Donald Trump is in trouble. The DOJ may officially like to go easy on a former president, but now that all the evidence is in front of everybody, that's going to be impossible for them to do.
they are going to have to indict. And I'll be honest with you, I just want to see the indictments and the trials. They may go on forever. It may be two years before we see any conviction. And then we have to worry about what they will do. Will they pull up, put them in jail or what will they do? House lockdown? It really doesn't matter because he's going to be run through the ringer for the next two years. He's going to be absolutely destroyed financially and in his business. Emotionally, he's going to be a wreck, mainly because he's already an emotional wreck. But with all this stress and all this pressure, an old fat white guy like that who eats Big Macs all day, this can't be healthy for him. This is going to be a problem. So Donald Trump's future is inevitable. He's going to get indicted. And he's going to be fucked around with for at least the new next two years. And while all this is going on, even if he wants to, he's not going to have the time or the wherewithal to actually run for president. Now, during a discussion about the 2024 presidential election Monday... Um, guest host Charles Payne noted that recent polling from Fox News found 58% of registered voters are not glad to see former President Donald Trump running again. 58% are unhappy. 15, 58% of Republicans are not happy that Donald Trump is, is running again in 2024. Well, that's kind of problematic if you're a Republican candidate. The segment kicked off with a discussion of the new, with uh, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu's potential presidential ambitions. We've heard talk that he may run for president. Sununu said, we're talking about it. I get it. And we're having conversations. But right now, my focus is really on New Hampshire, said Sununu in a previous interview with the network. Well, that was New Hampshire Republican Governor Chris Sununu telling Neil Cavito about possible plans, his possible plans for 2024. This, what some new Fox polls show, a lot of voters aren't looking forward to a possible Biden-Trump rematch, said Payne before introducing his guest. He goes on to say, let's... let's." Um, Let's get the read from Sarah Westwood of the Washington Examiner. You know, I think both parties have unique, similar, but unique problems here. With respect to the Republican Party, whether President Trump runs in former President Trump, there's still Trumpism in the room. So whether he runs or not, there's still his Trumpism involved. You know, Ron DeSantis may pick up the reins where Donald Trump left off. And the only one who seems like they can carry that mantle right now or that baton would be Governor Ron DeSantis. What do you think, Sarah? Payne asked Westwood as a poll was shown on the screen. She said, I think Trump in a lot of ways, shifted the center of the Republican Party. And I don't know that Governor Sununu really represents where the energy in the Republican Party is now. That's why DeSantis is so popular. 
Sununu represents sort of the old guard of the Republican Party, essentially the establishment, and we know how voters love the establishment. The pro-business, the very middle-of-the-road kind of Republican, that's helped him be successful in a pretty blue state like New Hampshire. But broadly speaking, throughout the country, you know, DeSantis has shown a way to sort of wage those culture war fights in education, you know, on immigration, on a lot of these issues that Republicans really care about in a way that is still not nearly as divisive as Donald Trump. Yet, it's pretty divisive. He was able to have hundreds of thousands of Democrats who did did not support him the first time around come around to see his side with his landslide election in 2022. I can't imagine that. Why would any Democrat vote for DeSantis? But apparently, that happened. Unless, of course, there was election fraud. That election was a hoax. Now, I'm not saying that, but uh, somebody might. So it'll be interesting to see the different types of Republican ideology get matched up in the 2024 primary. I'm just not sure that Governor Sununu really represents the direction of where the party has been going over the past eight years. What she's saying is that Governor Sununu is not a white supremacist, is not a misogynist, is not a... um, anti-Semite, is not a treasonist, not an insurrectionist, and uh, that may not be what the uh, Republican Party is looking for. Now, of course, the Fox News poll also showed 64% of registered voters do not want President Joe Biden to run again. The poll was conducted between December 9th and the 12th and carries a 3% margin of error. Which is interesting, and this is really a tough call. I've often said I don't see Joe Biden running again. And it has nothing to do with his accomplishments. Because to be perfectly honest, in his first two years of his administration, he's probably been, legislatively speaking, the most successful president in our history. You can't fault the guy for his accomplishments. But she got that elephant in the room. He's going to be 82 years old. That's going to be quite old. How is he going to be in two years? Well, I would suggest that he's going to be better physically and mentally than Donald Trump is, even though he's four years older than Donald Trump. That said, 82 is pretty old. And so uh, I say that begrudgingly, given that I'm 62, and that's only 20 years away. But that may be something that holds him back. You know, for my money, if I was Joe Biden, why would you want to run again? Why would you want to be on the job until you're 86? I mean, you got to love it, but it's a tough job. We know the job turns a lot of presidents gray. That isn't a problem with Joe Biden because he's already gray. But it does take a toll on one's body being in that possession with all that stress and strain and responsibility. So what's going to happen in 2024? A lot of people will come on TV and on the Internet and tell you they know what's going to happen. It's going to be Trump DeSantis or 
Trump-Biden or DeSantis-Biden. But let's be perfectly honest. It's two years away from the election, probably a year and a half away from the primaries. Nobody knows. Nobody really knows what's going to go on. We don't know if DeSantis is even going to be a viable candidate in 2024. There's too much time. We can be pretty certain that Donald Trump won't be a viable candidate. We don't know how Joe Biden will feel in two years when he's 82 years old. So it's all very speculative at this point. If you look back in our history at any elections, any front runners that came out two years ahead of time usually didn't end up the winners when it was all said and done. So trying to pin on favorites two years prior to election, I think it's just a bad idea. We have no idea what's going to happen. A lot can happen in two years. People can, can get sick. They can die. Uh, economy goes to shit. Any number of things could possibly happen. So anybody suggests they know what 2024's election's going to look like? They don't fucking know. I don't care how smart they are. They just don't fucking know. Now, when there was a lot of reporting on election deniers and Donald Trump's myriad of legal woes, congressional Democrats were going under the radar while, they're, while doing their jobs writing new and effective legislation that would be part of President Joe's Biden's legacy. Democrats and President Biden delivered the best second year of any presidential first term in history. And in keeping control of the Senate, along with an additional seat, Democrats can continue being effective on their side of Congress. I mean, that's the tough point. Whether you want Biden to run or not, or you think he's going to be too old, you can't deny the guy's success. I mean, the guy's been more successful than his former boss, Barack Obama. And everything is run pretty smoothly while he's there. Does he make mistakes? Of course he makes mistakes. Every president makes mistakes. But life is a lot easier when Joe's in the Oval Office as opposed to what we dealt with for four years with Donald Trump being in the Oval Office. It's clearly a better situation in this country with Donald Trump out of power. Now, President Biden has scored with his voting base by delivering on the promises he made during his campaign. He's added more Democrats to federal judgeships, including women of color, and all the way up to the Supreme Court. The president has also forgave tens of thousands of dollars in student debt and issued a blanket pardon for thousands of people prosecuted for marijuana position, possession. Now, where that's going to come into play is with the millennials and the Gen Zs. And we know the millennials and the Gen Zs are playing a big part in politics now. They were a big reason why the Republicans failed in 2022. They're going to be even more a factor in 2024. Now, aside from a period of historic job growth, Democrats passed the Inflation Reduction Act, reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act, and signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law, as well as the CHIPS and Science Act and the Veterans Pact. 
That's in two fucking years. What did Donald Trump do? He gave a tra- tax break to old pe- or to rich people, and that's it. He gave us a bit of a tax break, but it was only temporary, and now that's gone, and we're back to paying high taxes, but the rich fucks, they still get their tax break. If you try to compare Donald Trump to Joe Biden, you can't. There is no comparison. Democrats also implemented new laws around election security and the public release of presidential tax returns. So they've accomplished a lot. Now, in a recent tweet, I don't usually look at Twitter, but I have a lot of respect for this next guy. He is a Harvard Law professor. He was Merrick Garland's teacher. Very smart, very common sense, very trustworthy guy. His name is Lawrence Tribe. He suggested that using the insanity defense might be Donald Trump's best legal strategy. And we know that's a weak strategy. It's rare that somebody gets out of a conviction by claiming insanity. But Lawrence Tribe, this absolute expert on the law, says that might be his best legal strategy. There was a time when Donald Trump was able to hire some of the top lawyers in the country And now, of course, those days are long over. He refuses to pay or listen to any lawyers, which makes the job of a lawyer almost impossible. As the former president's legal issues have mounted, he has had had to fight with them with much less capable representatives. Legal scholar Lawrence Tribe had some advice for those lawyers who remain by Trump's side. The Harvard educator was responding to a video recently posted by Trump. The former president spent the video railing against the January 6th report, calling it a monstrous lie, which we know it's not because there's fucking evidence there. Evidence in your handwriting, for Christ's sake. Sharing Trump's post, Tribe wrote, If this is the defense at Trump's forthcoming trial, I don't envy the lawyers who agree to represent him. They'd better be psychiatrist experts at reflexive projection and capable of getting their client to plead insanity. Neil Katyal, another legal expert, made a similar suggestion. He recently said on MSNBC, I can't see it in any legal way helping him unless he is trying to go for the insanity defense of which this paper seems, you know, to be some evidence of. Well, I don't think Donald Trump is willfully going out and trying to set himself up for the insanity plea. In all honesty, this is just Donald Trump being Donald Trump. He never has to go this deep because somebody already bails him out, but not this time. Donald Trump is at the point where he's flailing. He doesn't know what to say or do. Everything that he's normally done is no longer working. So he's just spewing things out frantically, whether they are real or fake or just make no sense at all. That's where he's at, and that's where I knew he'd always be at. When he gets cornered and has no way out, 
we are going to see an incredible shit show from him. He's going to be spewing some of the most ridiculous shit you could ever imagine. And from here on out, it's only going to get worse. And when the indictments drop, watch out. It's going to get crazy. Now, in a previous podcast, we talked about this winter storm that ran its way across the United States. It hit us here in Minnesota. We didn't get a ton of snow, but it's been colder than a motherfucker. Minus 10, minus 15 degrees, and the wind chills? Fuck it. I don't even want to talk about that. That's crazy. But starting today, where I live right now in Minnesota, the temperature is going to pop back up to about 27 to 30 degrees. It's going to be in the mid-30s all through the week which is absolutely paradise in this part of the country during this part of the year. Now, this enormous winter storm that killed about 50 people across the U.S. Yesterday, I reported 34. So this is having a serious effect on the safety of a lot of people. Now, it's been particularly brutal in Buffalo, New York. And Buffalo, New York always gets hit hard. They get far more snow than we get here in Minnesota. I mean, it seems to come in feet. Buffalo, which sits on the northeastern tip of Lake Erie, was blanketed by more than 40 inches of snow over the weekend, just short of four feet of snow. Can you imagine? I mean, even in a town in uh, in Minnesota, where I live now, if we were to get 40 inches It would shut the town down for a couple of days. It would only open up in a couple of days because we're well prepared with dealing with those kinds of storms. But even though we are well prepared, it would still shut this town down. You got to move that snow. And more importantly, you got to find a place where to put that fucking snow. Now here where I live, what they usually do is push it down a... uh, landing ramp and pile it up at the end of the landing ramp because of course nobody's using this ramp for uh, for boats because the fucking lake is iced over but i can't imagine the difficulties that buffalo new york is currently going through and they got other problems here too buffalo which sits on the northeastern tip of lake erie as i pointed out That's a big difference, too, because they'll get a lake effect, which adds to the amount of snow and probably the winds as well. The area has seen people trapped in cars or stuck in below freezing homes, local officials said. The storm-related death toll in the city now stands at 20. That's just in Buffalo, according to the mayor, with more than a dozen of those individuals found outside in the cold. This has been a very difficult and dangerous storm, the Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown said at a Monday news conference, noting it was a once-in-a-generation event. The fact that this is the biggest storm they've seen in a long time is saying something. Because Buffalo, as of late, every year they get 20, 23 inches of snow, maybe even 30 inches of snow. This time they got 40 inches of snow. 
Now, everything that was forecast, we have gotten in the city of Buffalo, he said. Thousands of residents in Buffalo have lost power as the storm moved over the weekend from central United States. As of Monday afternoon, officials said the number of homes without power had dropped below 10,000 finally. (laughs) Brown said some residents have been without power since Friday. Now, can you imagine that? It's one thing not to have lights, but if you don't have power, you don't have fucking heat. And if you don't have heat in sub-zero temperatures, you've got some problem. The National Guard is deployed to help clear up roads and assist dozens of emergency personnel responding to residents trapped inside their vehicles or stuck out in the blistering cold. Ahead of the storm last week, New York Governor Kathy Hochul declared a state of emergency for the entire state and on Monday expressed surprise that the storm had mostly devastated western New York. She called the winter storm the blizzard of the century and said officials were expecting another 6 to 12 inches. If they get 12 inches, we're now talking 52 inches of snow. It's absolutely crazy. She said it's still a dangerous situation. Scores and scores of vehicles left outside in the heavy snow. We have had snow plows, major snow plows, and rescue vehicles. I saw them myself in ditches, buried in snow. Those circumstances are still very difficult. Hochul added she recently talked to President Biden, who has promised to swiftly approve her request for federal emergency aid. Now, of course, Joe Biden will come through. Had Donald Trump been in office, he'd only come through if there was something in it for him. And since Kathy Hochul is a Democratic governor, he probably would have done nothing. Local counties in western New York are enforcing a driving ban to keep residents out of the storm. Many streets in Buffalo are also impassable for both walkers and drivers because of the thick snow. You know what's another problem when you have deep snow like that? If you have a dog, try to take a dog out in 40 inches of snow so he can go to the bathroom or she can go to the bathroom. The shit's over their head. They can't do anything. Now, some of these dogs would love romping in the snow, but it's just as difficult for them. Now, Buffalo's mayor explained that some of the people have taken advantage of the suffering in our community to loot buildings and stores. Can you imagine that? A city going through these problems and people struggling, and still there are motherfuckers out there that want to loot stores and homes. Western New York alone counts for more than half of the death toll so far in the U.S., In Erie County, which includes Buffalo, 27 deaths were confirmed from the local medical examiner's office, although official causes of death could change the unofficial toll attributed to a winter storm. In frequent updates, Erie County Executive Mark uh, Polencars has described some of the deaths related to the storm, with 14 people found outside three from an EMS delay, and three who died from cardiac arrest after snow shoveling. 
In neighboring Niagara County, one man died of carbon monoxide poisoning in his car. We do expect there will be more, Paul and Carr said at the Monday news conference. We are at the mercy of Mother Nature. Now I got to tell you, when you get a heavy snowstorm, it causes problems. We had a snowstorm one time when I was like 16, 17, now 17 years old, probably. And I lived in a part of town that was kind of an upscale part of town, but it was noted for being the last on the list of places to get plowed. So in our little area, there was like a foot of snow. Now, if we could get out to the street a block and a half down, those roads were plowed. So my brother and I were sitting there thinking, Jesus Christ, we can't be locked in here with our parents for the next two days. we got to do something. So what we did was, my brother and I got a couple of shovels, and we built, or we shoveled, kind of a trail from our driveway out to that street that was plowed about a block and a half away. Now, as I look back at that now and I think about it, I think, God damn it. It's good to be young because I could never even think of doing that. The one thing that pissed me off about it, pissed my brother off as well, is we're digging this path with shovels a block and a half. And we got that some bitch done and we got our cars out and we got to do stuff because we got to the street that was plowed. But after we did it, all these old fucks on this street got out their snow plows <laughs> and then just blew off their driveway and cut into our trail. Now, I have no problem with them using that trail that we dug out. But if there are all these people with snow plows, can you imagine what we could have done if those people with snow plows just jumped on board with us? We had shovels and snow plows. We could have got it done a lot faster, and we could have got it done a lot wider and better. But now these motherfuckers don't care. They just waited to the, till the dumb kids did it, and then they cut their little entrance into that trail. Fucking people. Fucking people. Just upset me. Anyway, one of the things that was a problem, and by building this trail, this was helpful. Because we had older people in the neighborhood, middle-aged people in the neighborhood. And if there was any kind of medical emergency, you couldn't get EMS in to tend to them. The vehicles just couldn't get through the snow. It was that, that high. And prior to us building this trail, a friend of my brother's lived down at the other end of the block. And his dad wasn't old at the time. He was probably in his early 50s. He decided that he would go out, start his snowblower, and blow off his driveway best he could. Well, even starting the snowblower and trying to push the snowblower was too much because he had a heart attack and died in the driveway. 
So obviously the family is upset. They drag him into the garage and they call EMS. But because the trail wasn't done yet, we hadn't even thought about doing it at that point. EMS said, we can't get in there. We just can't get in there. And they said, what should we do? Said, well, wrap him up in a blanket and leave him in the garage. It's cold enough out there to preserve him. So that's what they had to do. For like two or three days, their dad, who was dead, was wrapped up in a blanket and laying in the fucking garage. Now, this guy, we had no indication that he was in trouble. He was just doing what every other neighbor was trying to do and clear off their driveways. But it was too much. And then you throw in the fact that the EMS can't even get to you. Reason I bring that up, that was nowhere near 40 inches. It's probably 12 to 13 inches. Can you imagine with 40 inches, maybe 50 inches of snow in Buffalo and people having difficulties, medical difficulties, and trying to get EMS to them? You fucking can't. There are people that are in dire need of help that are just going to die because they can't get help to them. And they can't get out to get help. That's one of the scariest things about these storms. They are very scary, especially if you happen to take a turn in your health. It's going to be impossible to get the health you, help you need. So we should have Buffalo and those people in western New York and on the East Coast in our prayers. Hopefully this will pass through without any more um, deaths. We're talking about 50 deaths and half of them in the Buffalo area. That's fucking absolutely crazy. We can only hope and pray. We can't stop Mother Nature. We can only hope that it gets through there without too much more damage. As I say, it's already past us. Our temperatures are going to be back up to the mid-30s, so we're good. But those folks on the East Coast, they have bigger problems because their system's coming together, and they call it a bomb cyclone. So what could happen there could be catastrophic for some people. So if you're on the East Coast, take care of yourself. Stay in. Don't drive. Do what you can, but just stay safe. All right. We are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.